everybody, I'm the drunk phytologist, Dr. Rochelle Lapham, aka Phyto or DP, and I use the pronoun she, her. And I'm Ethan Lapham, uh, also known as Talkman363, and I use pronouns uh, he, him. And this is Natural 20. <laughs> Natural 20 is a podcast that discusses the lore, history, and biology of Dungeons and Dragons, creatures, and monsters. Natural 20 is also an adult podcast featuring adult language. You have been warned. So yeah, I would say why don't we why don't we kick things off, you know, to get an idea of, of kind of what we're looking at today because it's definitely different than our normal. Well, one suggestion is our guests could introduce themselves. Right. We can start there. Give them the, the, their names, you know, their pronouns, who they are, what they do, and what they would like to talk with us about today. This is Dave. I'm part of the design team and uh, part of 23rd Century Productions. Here to talk to you today about uh, Battle Lords. My name is Tony Oliveira. I'm also part of the design team at 23rd Century Productions and uh, worked on Battle Lords with Dave. And we're here today to talk to you about that. Excellent, excellent. So, you know, welcome to, you know, welcome to our illustrious studio, aka Coronavirus Land, probably our own bedrooms. But but this is kind of the, the behind-the-scenes action. So for us, yeah, I mean, Battle Lords, for me, was was new. Um, you guys had reached out um, to us, and that was, I mean, it's, it's huge to us to have somebody reach out and say, you know, hey, we've got this game. And as I start to, like, look into history, I'm like, this is as old as I am. And I had no clue it was out there. If we can get a basic idea, like, we're longtime D&D people. That's kind of our, our, our comfort zone. I've played a little bit of Pathfinder. I've played... Um, some some fate. I've played some uh, fantasy age system. I've done some D twenty modern. But powered by the apocalypse hacks, Star Trek specifically ones. Um, uh, Expanse RPG. G- I mean, I've played a few systems, but Battle Lords was a new one. So maybe give us kind of the thirty second elevator pitch of of what to expect. Dave, right. you want to give that one? Sure. Um, so I'll, I'll cover two bases. Uh, it may take slightly more than thirty seconds That's from a. Right. Thematics perspective, think dark, gritty future. Think Fifth Element. Think uh, Mega City One and Judge Dredd and the dark humor in that. Think of um, Blade Runner, those dark, gritty futures. Think like the Firefly being out in the expanse of distant spaces and not having anyone else you can turn to. So you're, you're playing in an area where you've got all that going on, mixing a little bit of Starship Troopers because you've got this alien invasion going on. And you've got lots of different ways of playing. You've got pirates who are just trying to make a way through the life of the unknown out there. You've got uh, soldiers who are doing their best to protect against the coming invasion. You've got those superstar kind of guys who are making it, uh, trying to make it any way they can and, and try to become very popular and generate the kind of a fan following, becoming a battle lord in the 23rd century and, and having their, their fandom. And then from a gameplay perspective, it's it's all skill-based. We have percentile-based system skills and you have a lot of flexibility. There's no classes. It's, it's really driven by where do you want to put your skills. Okay. And I, I did notice, you know, there's, for those that are not, that are used to sort of a, a simple system of like, you know, with D&D, there's kind of your six core abilities. Those all map to like a skills list, but everybody has more or less the same skills, just kind of different amounts of them. And I saw two things kind of jumped out, out at me right away. It was one, every playable race has a stat block of page long. And two, on top of that level of, of and I, I think it literally is called out as crunch, there are rules set up as more crunch. Oops, all crunch, crunch bar. Level of crunch. You like crunch, we put crunch in your crunch. Right. Yes. And I'm That's not that. crunchy That's enough. A, it's very it's... different to see that kind of layout. And the fact that I think when I was looking through the table of contents, it was like a full two-column page of skills. Battle Lords is really designed scalable, essentially. Um, you don't have to use any of that crunch when we're running it at, say, Gen Con. We just use the level of rules that are presented in the Quick Start rules, which you can get for free. But it's also scalable to the point where it is, uh, if you want to, you can play it essentially as, I call it, as a tactical role-playing game. It's, we're just one step back from sort of miniature wargaming. 
So it's it's you can use whatever level of, of crunch you want, which is why we have those more crunch and occasionally in there you'll see a less crunch rule to factor it in. But uh, as, as Dave was saying, there's it's a skill based system. So they, they, the species don't have a core set of skills because this in addition to your species, the skills really just define what your character is. Are you a gunslinging mercenary? have probably a certain set of skills for that. Are you a soldier? Are you a pirate? Are you a, a you know, a corporate espionage spy? Um, just like in, in the real world, a lot of times it's, you know, it's what you do for the living and the skills that you possess to do that, that sort of define what you're good at and what you're, what you're going to do in life. I think the skill that jumped out at me when I sort of skimmed through that list was taxidermy. The thought of being space <laughs> Chuck Testa makes me happy. <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes you have an awesome kill and you want to memorialize it. You know, I got that dragon. I'm mounting that whole dragon. It's going to be right there in the front of my courtyard so everyone can know that's the one I got. I mean, I'm that's in there for uh, for two species. Uh, the the Fintari is, as Dave alluded to, take trophies. So it's not uncommon for them to see bits and pieces of other things uh, adorning their armor. And then the other species, the Fot, who were genetically engineered and created, are essentially genetically predisposed to be, for lack of a better word, hillbillies. They like stuffing things. That's fair. I mean, the trophy hunter, right? Like that that can be the archetype, right? Of saying, you know, you are this intergalactic trophy hunter, and so why not sign up to be a mercenary, right? I can see ways that you can build it from the skills to determine your story or take a story and find skills to fit. And I like that yes. flexibility. For people who have ever played a game like Champions or DC Heroes, which is again, going back a few days, anything where it's kind of a point-based build kind of a concept, that's where you start, right? You don't have a class in like DC Heroes. You basically just kind of build out the skills you want. Even Denominate kind of has a bit of that feel where you kind of pick your abilities and that kind of defines within a space what you can play. And in Nominate, you kind of almost have, you have an archetype, so you kind of have limits within the archetype. But here you just have a, the challenge is you really do have carte blanche. You can just, what do you want to do? Do you want skills that make you an engineer? Do you want skills that make you an explorer? Do you want to be a taxidermist? Do you yeah. want to be a trophy hunting taxidermist? We had one group contact me a couple months back, and the entire group, by night, they were a rock band, and by day, uh, they were bounty hunters. <laughs> and that, those were their character concepts, and they can, you can do that in Battle Wars. Yeah, I could see that. So yeah, that, that gives at least background mm-hmm. context to, to give us an idea of kind of where to start. So I've heard some things thrown out, you know, a couple names in there, some thought, Verd and I. You know, I'm hearing that maybe there might be a, a tendency towards a particular playable race as far as maybe like a favorite of each of yours. If there was one where it's every time I go to build a character, I have to fight my hardest not to be a fill-in-the-blank, what would that be? Dave? I don't really have the one that I always go to as much anymore. I'm partial to Mitsakins just because they can fold space and basically decide they're going to just nuke not just like a planet, like, oh, this... 10 parsec on a side cube of space is just gone. Kind of hard to turn away from that level of power. Power! Okay. I, yeah, after, yeah, been, it's been around for, we're celebrating our 30th anniversary, so I've, I've played a lot of the species. I don't know if I have a, any, a one go-to anymore. They're, they're all kind of fun, and they're all kind of good at different things. Water uh, entertaining as well. Yes. I would probably say Eridani. The whole alien space samurai has a certain appeal to a lot of people. So that, that would probably be one of my favorites. So Battle Lords itself has been around since, I think it was 1990. Did I have that correct? Yep. So there's there's some history there. I mean, obviously, there's. so this is edition seven, I think it is, the, the current version that's out. So has there have there been a huge number of changes? Like, is the original system still kind of under the hood, or is this a complete overhaul with this latest edition? The, the original edition, written in 1990, was written by a guy named Larry Sims, and it was based on his experience in the U.S. Army at the time. Um, a lot of those themes are still in the game. But in terms of the system mechanics, it really hasn't changed in the last 27 years it wasn't until i would say the the newest edition 
that it changed. And I'll, I'll let Dave sort of hit the highlights and, and, and why that is and what we did. The basics are pretty similar, but from a gameplay perspective, because it is a crunchy system, and as time has gone on, we've seen an evolution in the game space towards a little more streamlined play. And we've got things like Fate, which are very streamlined. So one of the things we wanted to do is preserve the, the nature of the gameplay, but find ways to streamline it. So things like how automatic weapons fire worked before it was you're rolling a lot of dice to see what actually hit, then you're rolling damage for each one of those things. So it was like, how do we get through that faster, but still keep the lethality of, of automatic weapons? They're, they can be very lethal if they, if they do hit. So we, we tried to group, you know, kind of figure out how do we take the crunch and make it not a barrier to the gameplay, right? When you have somebody who's rolling a ton of dice and everyone else is just kind of sitting waiting, it's like, you know what, I'm going to go run over to the Starbucks. Anybody need anything? you know, something's a little out of whack from a gameplay perspective. So that was the goal is to try to keep the story in the game going more so than the dice. Um, okay. So trying to figure out how to do that. And that's actually part of how we got to the quick start rules as well is, again, how do we even soften it even more? We actually have one of the standard rules of advice we have for game masters in the game master section is rule number one is have fun, right? If it's getting too crunchy and people aren't having fun, you're violating the first rule. If somebody wants to do something epic that's not, easily covered in the rules, make something up, make it fun. That's kind of what guided us towards finding ways to change it just a little bit here and there. There was also some gameplay ability things where um, we call them matrices, but um, for people who are familiar with D&D, think spells. Um, sure. So there's three species who have psychic abilities. The scissor, uh, sorry, the Chatillions who have kind of psychic abilities in the mind reading and kind of there's a bit of mental manipulation kind of things they can do. You've got the Zen, who are healer types that can kind of, re, you know, basically dealing with things at a biological level and encouraging healing, you know, altered healing, let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> and then the Mitzakans, who are energy manipulators. So you can kind of think classic wizard. The way that those spell equivalents run in the older rules wasn't always play balanced. Some of the things you could get very early were incredibly powerful. And as we started to put a structure around that, and kudos to Tony for, for putting all this together in a coherent way that it kind of holds it all together, started to realize, yeah, we always thought that was a really good spell to pick, so to speak, because it really works well. Well, you know, under the new system, it's like, yeah, now I get why, because that's really underpriced. So right. creating a way to price things more fairly from a gameplay perspective really helped. So there are a number of things in that we're trying to get to play balance. That was, I think, the other significant change, I would say. In the older rules, because of the emphasis on kind of a starship troopers kind of a feel, if you're in that kind of a mindset, you're, you're looking at um, your Python and your Ram Python are these big, you know, we're talking two and a half, three meter tall, 300, 400 kilo beings mm -hmm. that can carry a Jeep with them to fire machine guns. They don't need to carry the machine gun, they need to carry the Jeep with them. They can take a lot of damage, they can do a lot of damage. You've got your Eridani, who are just at the epitome of warriors. Fintari, who are really sneaky and, and good at uh, combat as well, you, you basically end up about three or four species that you'd really want to pick, and the rest are kind of like, well, you can do all these other things, but once it goes to combat, why would you? Right. So we're trying to make it a lot cleaner from that perspective, so, th so that way you don't end up with the same choices from a gameplay perspective. Also, um, trying to open up the options. Mm-hmm. And I think, like from a from a D and D perspective, like you said, the streamlining of kind of game systems makes a lot of sense. I, I heard the like rolling a lot of dice, and having played right. the the rogue and dropping like a just a block of D six on the table and then rolling them all at once. It's fun now and then, but yeah, the moment that you're like, is he done counting yet? Can we send somebody to like pick up a pizza this time? Not even deliver. Like we'll wait forty minutes. Yeah, right. I, you you definitely see that, and and the. You want to have the choices and have every choice feel valuable, right? That, it, that it's not, yeah, exactly. They're like, you know, this is our brute. And it's like, sure, I can talk us out of it. But the moment it's in combat, I'm, you know, behind the nearest barrel praying to whatever deity I can find that's willing to listen until combat is over. Yeah, I can see where you don't necessarily want to, you know, not that you couldn't have the non-combatant, but you reach a point where you want to say, everybody has a, a moment everybody has a, a beat in any scenario if they want it so yeah i can definitely right. see emotion that way and i think that, that that lends itself well to a lot more tables that way 
because yeah, I you know I'm I'll admit I'll play you know, you know I've played War Machine, I've played you know War Games, I've and you know you hear matrices and spells and as you describe them I'm like okay 40k psychers I'm kind of following yeah, I you see the the bits and pieces there but it still feels like a unique system. I did see like the energy cost versus a spell level. And yeah, hearing like, oh, this was a super great spell that you could, or a matrix that you could just pick up immediately because it was so low cost. You, there's a reason that, you know, Fireball and like Meteor Storm are way up the chain. That you don't right. need the, the third level party that if they miss, it's going to go horribly for them as well as what they're trying to hit. <laughs> yep. It's like, that's a little too much power. We don't need you to have the fork and the electrical socket right out of the gate. Exactly. The, the downside to working with 30 years of, of, of backstory is I had to dump all of those matrices, basically spells, into a, an Excel spreadsheet and figure out a formula to balance them. And it took about four months to get <laughs> getting ready for the new edition. <laughs> and Call of Cthulhu was wrought. And how much of your sanity got, got a hit? Yes. I, yeah, definitely took a sanity hit on that one. That kind of answers a lot of the questions. So that's kind of my, my section of things is we tend to cover a little bit more of the lore and the history to get a feel for kind of what has come before, right? Like, so for us, we can dig back. It's a lot further back, but the number of additions and the number of changes have been a little bit fewer. But we do still find some things. Um, you know, the one that, that stood out to us was the, the Owlbear episode with the special attack hug. Yeah, that was really good. It's like, sure, that is what they're doing, but I don't think it's the kind of hug that anyone wants. You know, Graham Pythons wouldn't mind. That's fair. Yeah, that's. If you don't <laughs> mind biting ooh, back. That's uh, one of the advantages of a lot of the, the, the antagonists, for lack of a better word, in Battle Lords, is unlike most of the monsters in Dungeons and Dragons, with the exception of the Owlbear, <laughs> um, which is magically created, if I remember correctly, a lot of the bad guys are tailor made as soldiers, assassins, walking tanks. Because the, the 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 arachnids, who are one of the antagonists in the game, are basically masters of genetic engineering and techno-organic uh, engineering. So all of their minions, all of their hordes, are tailor-made combatants. So you can, you know, in, in Dungeons & Dragons, you're running across that monster and you're like, well, isn't it a little weird this thing can breathe underwater and shoot, you know, flames? That just doesn't make any sense, you know, with, with the... Uh, with battle lords, if if you see something, you know it's a little off like that. You can be sure. Oh, it was probably designed specifically to do that. <laughs> there is a very specific and and detailed reason exactly why. Well, and also I appreciate that at least from my point of view of things. So maybe what you're saying in general is that when you're doing these, you know, fights or battles, it's the it is more of the. I didn't just run across this very dangerous territorial monster and now we're either fighting or running. You're dealing with an intelligent opponent. Yeah, the minions are all, all the arachnid minions, they've all got a job to do. And if, they're, if you've run into one, you're probably in its way. <laughs> the first question that the biologist has, who has seen just the barest glimpse of the rules, she's seen less than I have. I at least kind of skim through so we can we can throw surprises her way and see what we'll, we'll do the word association kind of thing of it'll be the the, the species association right. we'll give you the the base description and see how realistic that sounds yes so why don't we i think we could probably so I'm, I'm hearing some antagonists and kind of monsters are kind of our normal space well and something also that i heard was that oh they've been genetically engineered right or they have been technologically designed to do this sort of thing which in my head right and hopefully they won't get angry with me <laughs> is in D D, usually where it's like we have this bizarre thing that makes no sense right so we say a wizard did it now in battle wars what i'm hearing is we have this bizarre thing that makes no sense genetic engineering well, hopefully it should make sense. Hopefully if they have a specific ability. As I um, said, I didn't it, want them to be you... angry at me. <laughs> this is our hand wavy arc hand <laughs> So this time it's not a wizard, it's a mad scientist that did it. Yes. Yeah. I, I would uh, rather the genetic engineering my excuse would probably be prototype. Mm. Mm-hmm. That well and actually one of the adventures we've got in the latest um uh, um book that we're putting out 
which is a supplement of scenarios, um, we actually have a prototype being released and uh, seeing how it does. That's, that's about all the spoiler I want to give. Sure. Okay, so why don't we why don't we start with the player races? Throw them at us any order you want. We can go alphabetical. We can go, you know, top ten greatest hits. Mm-hmm. You know, number ten. And let's let's see what what that triggers in the the biologist mind. Dave, you wanna you wanna start? Sure. I've got well, I've got the whole list here because I've got the session zero information in front of me. So, um, so our first species, uh, nicknamed the asparagus head, is an empath. And they are rather short at 1.2 to 1.5 meters tall. And they have psychic abilities. So that's one place where things get a little different. But from a strength perspective, they take a hit on their strength. They're small. They're not very strong. They don't focus on that. Stats-wise, their mental or needy terms, saving throw is high because of their mental abilities. But none of the others are exceptionally high. In terms of appearance, they're nicknamed the asparagus head because they've got this long cone shape, kind of like an asparagus. And uh, I think they've got, uh, is it three fingers and a thumb? Yeah. I think that's what we've got. Yep. Let's see. Can you, uh, let me see if I've got some more on the uh, diet. They're herbivores. And that's, that is one. Another thing I did notice is I think you had a lot of them, you've got kind of a home environment for each of them, at least to like a base level. So, yeah, diet, those types of things are available. So, so this is if you can give us a name. So asparagus head is kind of the, I, I did notice the nicknames is like kind of the, the soldiers on the battlefield. It's your, your star Wars, you know, clone wars, you know, the, the clankers, not, they're not droids. Right. Right. Exactly. These are the Chitalians and they're one of the, the three species in the game that possess uh, matrix powers, essentially psychic abilities. And I've got the picture kind of pulled up here. Right. <laughs> the, the look of consternation. No, I'm just... They are always pissed off, actually. That is, that is intentional. They are always grumpy. Um, because if you had to, if you communicate psychically or, I guess, telepathically with other members of your species and you can basically give an entire page worth of information in a few seconds and then you have to talk to these other species to communicate with them, it's incredibly frustrating. And then know what they're thinking about you, even though they're saying, <laughs> sure, sure, that's a great idea. Never yes. works. <laughs> I can read your thoughts. <laughs> Shall we talk about this a little longer? <laughs> must, must we? Must we do this? So I guess I'm a little bit curious because I'm seeing this. So obviously humanoid, obviously empathic. So then in telepathic. So I'm wondering, design-wise, evolutionary-wise, is this one of the engineered races or is this like they had their own planet and evolved? Most. Most of the um, of the player species uh, are not engineered, or at least as far as everyone knows currently. Okay. So in that case, then my next question is: the humanoid form, bipedal, upright, you know, is a pretty classic kind of evolutionary design. It works well, and obviously, I know they have the <laughs> asparagus head kind of nickname. But then I'm just looking at that cranium going, what does that brain look like? Tell me about this brain. Is it larger and that there's certain parts of the brain which are larger that allow for this telepathic communication? And why did that evolve? And if you had telepathic communication with all of your species, why do you have speech at all? Those are all good questions. The uh, unlike the, sort of the magic in Dungeons and Dragons, all of the species in Battle Wars that possess psychic ability, the implication is that they possess organs that allow them to do those things: read minds, manipulate energy, um, and that that is why aliens have big heads. As originally conceived, uh, I will admit this is one of the things we changed for gameplay. It's uh, you know my my two rules of game design are are strive rule number one is strive to realistically model the environment, and rule number two is scale back to playability. In all prior editions of Battle Lords, the Chitalians could not speak, mm-hmm. and what we found is it was a barrier to gameplay for a lot of people. Um, people didn't like playing them. They didn't like being the table mime. You know, they knew what everybody else was thinking, but they couldn't couldn't communicate themselves. So that was one thing we actually changed for gameplay reasons rather than realism, as real as you can get in the game. Sure. Um, and then um, 
the other caveat uh, to a lot of the humanoid designs in the game is that those are for playability reasons because that as humans being humanoid in, in basic structure, that's what we relate to um, the most. Although there are some non-humanoid species in the game and that, that a lot of those were things that we've started to put in this edition to sort of push the envelope a little. So, and that's the other thing too, is it's like, the, so the larger head, the cranium kind of makes sense, but other than the kind of ridges on the head, it's, I'm looking, I'm trying to get like a, is it a scale thing? Is it a, a plate? Like a dermal plate? Like, well, how is that made up? Yeah, what's the dermis made of? You know, but that you get those overlapping, you know, almost, as you said, scales of, of a type. And also then you could also think, besides cranial capacity, which we associate larger brains with, being able to, you know, higher cognitive function, mm. as well as more abstract thought, as long as it is gray matter and not white matter, sure. and as long as you have a bumpy brain versus a smooth brain, because if you have a smooth brain, you have not involved the thinky-thinky parts, because <laughs> of the individual cranial, like, lobes and folds mm. allow for that, which maybe that is maybe they don't have a smooth skull like like we do on the inside right and that is an additional way for there's different additional folds of the brain matter on the inside or is it just additional defense like our skulls are kind of bad at their job it's true they, they do break fairly easily versus a, an overlapping plate structure you could take a couple more hits part of it is sensory they are uh incredibly intuitive and that goes beyond just their ability to read thoughts um uh, the species can tune into vibrations and sounds beyond what other species normally are aware of vibrations and things like that um and the other part of it is yeah with a chatillion its head probably makes up a significant percentage of its total <laughs> total body volume so you need a little bit little bit of a uh, of a shell there for lack of a better term uh, to provide some protection because it, it, it makes a big target. I was just thinking that as you said it. So, okay, with a, a political system, obviously then to a, an empathic, telepathic society is going to be much more intrigued to a certain extent and trying to hide motivations despite the extremely extensive network you could have. You can see where from a, from a societal standpoint, right? Because this is another thing that we don't always have, right? So with you know goblins and, and hobgoblins and things, there's a structure, but a lot of creatures since we're not focused as much on player races we don't get to look at kind of the societal piece of it right well and i'm also looking too in a little bit of the body design as well as the head size right and how it even in on earth right some things especially when you're trying to attract mates or become leaders bigger is better so the larger head larger cranial capacity but also that could be part of looking for a good partner you know, if you have the larger head, the more beautiful... More symmetrical. More symmetrical, the whatever, right? That can even be considered a type of ornamentation. Good. I don't know if anyone's ever brought up the physical appearance of a chitillion as a sexual display for <laughs> obtaining a mate before. That may be new ground. Hey, okay. <laughs> if you have a frigate bird, right? Okay. Oh, yeah. The two oh, yeah. Are aware of frigate birds? Oh, right? yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Have a frigate bird. How does that gigantic red throat pouch that puffs up like a big yep. red balloon, apparently that's sexy, that evolved on our planet? Well, and there's displays from horses when they're in heat that you're like, really? That's how you show you're ready to go? Yes. Wow. Big turn off. Just saying. Yeah. Listen, whatever works for you, all right? All right. So... <laughs> If we have gigantic throat pouches where we make these weird grunty, grunty noise, grunty, grunty noises, and that's the thing that gets the ladies going, a larger conical-shaped head is—I don't think it's that big of a stretch. That's fair. No, it's fair. <laughs> but then it's like they're like, "Oh no, we got on this podcast with this lady. <laughs> She's making everybody uncomfortable. Good. <laughs> and my job—it's finished." Um, right. <laughs> So that gives us kind of our, our first taste. So what are we? What, what's next on the, the buffet of playable races? So the next species we would pull out, I guess, in alphabetical order would be the Scissorak. So the Scissorak are simplistically, they look a lot like a lion. They're, um, there's a bit of a differentiation from lions in that they're not quite, their body shape is closer to maybe hyena than, than lion, but um, they're capable of walking on two. They prefer four. 
the only ones who get to go adventure though are the females. It's a, a matriarchal society. The men are kept home, at home in chains and purely for breeding purposes. Fascinating. I like it. <laughs> I'm in danger. <laughs> I'm, I'm in danger uh, now. Um, from a from a gameplay perspective and in, in terms of combat, this makes them particularly dangerous. They have very they're wired for very fast, you know, cat-like reflexes, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very fast. They get more ac- actions per turn as a result of that. They are really good with sight. They are very strong and powerful. I mean, think about what a tiger can do from a hand-to-hand combat perspective. Very dangerous. Not so good at the whole, let me do the fine motor control brain surgery. If that shows up. In fact, uh, there's uh, there's equipment you can get to help kind of compensate for that because they're just not good at fine detail manipulation. So I don't know if you got the picture, but that, that might give you an idea of what's going on. And well, and there's usually there's also that whole lack of an opposable thumb for tools. Oh, they have one. They just you? fold it under when they're when they're on all fours. The the way they manipulate tools is they can, um, and this is part of that hyena build. There, uh, they can stand on their hind legs and their essentially their paws unfold, and that's what allows them to manipulate tools. They're not good at it. They're they're clumsy on two legs, and their manual dexterity is not great. But it was enough that it gave them that ability that like a normal cat would lack. Sure. There, there had to be some way they got off their home planet. And also the thought is that even modern day cats have dew claws, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You can see where that design maybe could eventually evolve to be a more functional thumb or implement. And yeah, no, they won't be great at it, but, but it is there. Yes, yeah. it is there. It just would be a sort of a slight shift, the, the joints within the paw, basically, but not fully, sort of not fully developed. Because also the digits, sort of the phalanges, and of course, if they have claws retractable or not, have a different sort of design Mm -hmm. and are shorter because some of those, unlike our fingernails, right, have been developed more into like claws. But this is obviously an apex predator that has further evolved. Well, and if you still have the the digitigrade stance, that they're up on like the tips of what would be fingers, right? Right. the, the ankle, what we think of as the ankle is really more the, like, back of the finger. Yes. And, and you know, the, the, the knee is really more of the wrist. Yes. That style, so that impact of walking on all fours is going to cause a, a thicker, more muscular finger that may have restricted motion. Yes. So the other question I would think I would have, so obviously this is one of your more non-humanoid kind of bipedal structure. What kind of homeworld is the apex species feline adjacent? Like, is, are we talking are we heavily forested? Are we talking open plains? Because obviously, like, felines are pretty widespread in our world. The closest equivalent would be the, essentially they're sight predators living on a savanna. Okay. okay. And with looking at the skull shape being somewhat of a lion hyena maybe tiger-esque it's the higher front shoulders give that hyena kind of stance Mm -hmm. as well as having the sort of binocular vision right out front as you said sort of a savanna type sight predator um and when you're saying a matriarchal society that is most similar to a hyena on that there is usually a alpha female who's usually like the grandmother right and she's in charge of the whole clan. And then there are a lot of, now my next sort of question is, is this species very social? In the case of hyenas, there's a lot, there's almost a caste system. They're very social. There's a lot of different social dynamics. There's a lot of ranks. Everyone is ranked within sort of the group, especially the females and how they interact with one another and who's in charge and who takes care of what and who does what job. And there's these large clans or are they a bit more like a large cat? Cause for example, like tigers, the females are also the ones that make decisions on mating and whether she puts up with a male being around or not. And they're larger and stuff, but they're otherwise completely solitary. And then it's the, I go do my own thing and I might let you near me once a year. Otherwise, get the hell out. Um, 
the um the yeah the Sizerac have a highly regimented I guess it's hierarchical uh, clan structure mm-hmm. uh, and it's uh, it's it's hierarchical and you just build everybody's got a, a rank uh, within that structure uh, they don't worry about mating so much because essentially all mates um, so they, you, you, I'm sure you, the the pick uh, for your mate is dependent on your rank within that that clan structure. Um, but yeah, with the, when dealing with other Sizeraks, yeah, they do they do have that that hierarchy they work within. So even coming across like another Sizerak in the field, far from home, would they still kind of have an understanding of oh, you're of this clan, you rank above mine, sort of scenario, or is it much more of a meritocracy once they're off world? Well, the uh, one of the the interesting quirks about Battle Lords is is essentially everybody has a rank. The, the megacorps that run the, the universe run on a paramilitary rank system. So everybody has a rank, and uh, that rank is going to trump pretty much anything else when you're uh, yeah, out in the field, uh, You know, assuming you're employed by the Galactic Armed Forces or, or a mega corporation as a mercenary. Um, but they would recognize each other as, you know, you're, oh, you're this level in this clan, and I, I outrank you because I'm a higher level in my clan. But that's all going to give way to Oh, you're a colonel and I'm a sergeant. Okay, I'll do what you say. <laughs> sure. I might not like it, but I can follow. They already know how to follow orders before they even get to the point of being, you know, employed. And so can that be something interesting that you can do with role play even within, you know, your sort of players of having that kind of dynamic? Certainly, yeah. Certainly, yeah. Uh, I mean, the other thing that just to note is they do also have a caste system. So, you know, you're not going to end up with, say, a teacher or a scientist giving orders to the warrior. The, the alphas, they determine things, they win within their specialty or their caste area. Then, yeah, then they, then they would definitely have that tension, right? Between, yeah, you may outrank me in the rank of the company, but we both know who's in charge at home. So sure. be careful what you say. <laughs> I'll take the order, but it better be the nicest order you've ever given. Well, and that reminds me almost a little bit of, I don't know if either of you are familiar with CJ Cherry and her work in the Faded Sun trilogy, but there is an entire warrior species where they do have this kind of caste system, right? Where it's like the teachers have their job and they do these things. And this is what the warriors do. And the warriors don't do menial labor because that is beneath them. And there's, very specific rules you know of how they do things and interact with one another and that just sort of reminded me of that yeah i have some some i've i've heard of it i haven't had a detailed look at it but i'm a, yeah, i have a passing familiarity with it it was a, a surprise christmas gift that turned into the gift that kept on giving now it's she's one of those <laughs> authors that like i i seek her books out the sort of this is the warrior cast and they're the the face that faces outwards and this is the teaching cast that faces inwards and this is the the house cast that's you know protected and never seen and yeah that kind of system makes a lot of sense in a you know especially in a warrior society of like this is who deals the females deal with the outside world and on world you know this is the way that things are done and it's everything is layered and very structured that makes sense my yeah. favorite thing about the Sizerac is in this edition the newest edition when we took over the, the battle Lords brand um, we were going to redesign them because clearly they look like big cats. Right. And the downside to having a 30-year-old fan base <laughs> is they like things the way they are. They and when revolt. we they have revolted. They, <laughs> yes, when revolt. we kicked out those uh, those initial sketches, everyone was like, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And then we threw out one where they were cats. I'm like, yes, that one. <laughs> so we were like, okay, convergent evolution it is. Somewhere along the line. Oh, no. He said the words. He said the convergent evolution word. He did say the convergent evolution words. Are you going to go on your diatribe for everybody? The crab problem? Yeah. Are you going to do it? (laughs) This came up. This has come up with us a couple of times. And my favorite example of convergent evolution is the crab problem. In that life on Earth on six separate occasions has come up with the design of the crab. Independently. Independently in different locations. The crab is the ultimate form in the universe. Prove me wrong. So yeah, anytime convergent evolution comes up, it is the crab problem to me. Yeah. I see it no other way. 
we may come, we may bring this back around with one of the later species. Just gonna throw that out there. Oh no! Oh no! Yay. Oh, no. Oh, no. You, got, you guys don't understand. You don't understand. This is now becoming now. It has to happen almost every single podcast. You're gonna figure out a way to bring out these crabs, right? Every time because you're obsessed. Performance. Yes. So I already have my first crab cat peak performance moment. Okay, got it. Who do we have next in our smorgasbord? All right. The Aridani is the next species. They're a methane breather, so we're starting to kind of deviate from typical Earth norms there. Their species actually has three, I guess, genders, for lack of a better term. One whose function is strictly to hold and gestate children, um, and then a male and a female. That's kind of a, a bit of a quirk. These are the Aridani. We describe them as the kind of the alien space samurai. They're very much uh, a, a heavy caste system. There's basically three main castes. You've got the ones who rule and the warrior castes. It's vaguely Spartan-like, honestly. You've got the ones who are in charge. You've got the ones who kind of handle business and administration. And you've got the outcasts who are forced to do whatever they're told to do. And then there's ranking within each of those caste levels. And there's obviously the most noble and then the, the least of the nobles and then all of them are better than anyone in the business class because business that's beneath us you guys go deal with the money but this is the ship we need because we're going to go kill these people so build it make it good do you understand do you understand your job is on the line do it make it so <laughs> <laughs> so you um, mentioned yeah, methane breathing so that's going to be a little different so is it like a, a icy like frozen methane sort of world so their preferred temperature range is really in the zero to negative 60 C kind of a range. As a matter of fact, as part of the gameplay, we've actually baked in that they have to, if they're operating in more of an earth normal environment, they have um, a couple different ways of dealing with being able to get the methane they need to be able to respire. That's part of the gameplay is just, you know, they have to do adaptation to fit within more of an earth normal kind of a atmosphere. So they're very, you know, very cold dwelling. And as a consequence from a, again, going back to D&D norms, saving throw kind of a context, right. cold. Yeah, you, you call this cold. This is like a summer day. Tell me when it gets cold. There was a whole myriad of weapons and battle lords, and one of my favorites are frost guns, which essentially freeze your opponent to death. And I always love the first time somebody tries to shoot an Eridani with a frost gun, and they kind of look at the guy like, really? <laughs> oh, thank you. I was getting a little hot. Well, and I'm almost wondering, too, if their preferred temperature is between zero and negative 60 degrees C, if they, I would feel like if there were any place that was much warmer than that, they'd have to have some sort of environmental suit to stop from overheating, basically. Are they ectothermic in that case? Yeah, they have cooling suits are usually the way they deal with, with uh, warmer environments. Uh, and in terms of the atmosphere, they're either taking inject formulated injections that allow to give them the methane they need to respire or they are wearing a mask or they're in environmentally contained armor uh, in battle lords you spend a lot of time in armor and if it's airtight well why not just pump it full of methane that makes sense i also noticed that they drink both ethanol or ammonia based fluids well that would be on brand if we're talking about methanogens so methanogens at least on earth are unicellular organisms and not space samurai but they are able to deal with high levels of alcohol or ammonia because they usually live in extreme environments. So, I mean, that's not totally far off, really. Yeah, I wish our other, uh, our other participant was here tonight. He got sick, but um, oh. uh, Kurt, the, Kurt the Viking, what we call him, uh, helped write a lot of these. Most of the, the species descriptions are his handiwork. And uh, before he's a nurse now, but before he was a nurse, he was a uh, analytical chemist, so he he's got uh, a lot of the chemistry down uh, in terms of the species. Yeah, we'll get into a, probably a pretty good conversation in one of the species, which is brand new that we started from the ground up, and how we kind of came to agreement on some of the things. We have a couple species we added in there, flat out new to the system. So let's go ahead and we'll move to FOT because that's where we get into the genetic engineering potential, a little bit of, of wavium being involved here. The FOT were genetically engineered as a bit of an FU to the Alliance for a slight of an, uh, an anarchist slash nihilist named Uncle Ernie Freiberg. He loves to trade in uh, abominations that he creates. He likes to just play around with his genetic engineering genius. He likes to do whatever, but he gets paid best for creating things that are destructive. And he uh, 
was offended and decided to create these just to make uh, make a point. The uh, alliance has requirements around who they grant uh, membership to, at least uh, associate membership to. Uh, so he designed something to fit within those requirements and yet be just irascible. <laughs> like you're gonna have to let them in, but they're gonna be really annoying, and you're not gonna want to let them in. But if you stay within your own rules, you're gonna have to. Life's full of tough choices. So he basically took human, as best we can tell, human DNA, rabbit DNA, and a few other things thrown in. So they kind of look like a rabbit that got stretched and turned into a humanoid form. They're a little creepy in shape um, to kind of not so creepy in shape because of that. Obviously, the hearing would be good. Um, so there's some things like that. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the, the genesis. So they're definitely in that genetic engineered category, better at hopping. Uh, when they're when they're doing things, so I think more kangaroo than human-like running. And the other thing I noticed was a highly flammable fur. That I don't get. <laughs> Besides just someone being mean. Er- Ernie's mean. The, the guy who built them is yeah. He's <laughs> he's anarchist nihilist. He he just like let them all burn. I also noticed so there there is a chart that kind of outlines the relationship between the the alliance species of like. You know, but they get along with these guys. They kind of tolerate these ones. They really don't like these. And I noticed that the Fott were the only ones that didn't have anyone they preferred, even other Fott. Yep. <laughs> well, honestly, that is rabbit-like, though. This one actually works on multiple levels. Fido grew up on a rabbit farm. I did. I really did. So you've got the, the genetic engineering angle, the rabbit angle. Yes. Um, and it, you know, it was kind of out in the country, so there, you knew plenty of hillbillies that probably fit a lot of what is described here. Yes. They aren't averse to fire, though. Which they should be if they're highly flammable, you would think. Well, no, 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 I'm saying hillbillies. The fought are averse to fire. Okay, good. They got, the, apparently the genetic engineering included, if this hurts, you don't do it. All right. So, not hillbillies, not complete hillbillies. Right. Like, the, there's just enough safety sense. Okay, the Early. problem is, is the two, the two of us have seen a, seen a literal human, right, hillbilly, <laughs> in a yellow rain slicker <laughs> with an axe, chopping on a stump that was on fire in the rain. No, no, it wasn't raining. That's what made the rain slicker better. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I was driving home, and I called her, because I grew up in Florida. And so I was like, you grew yeah, up in you Indiana. Yeah, you make fun of me. <laughs> you grew up in Indiana. Is there like an Indiana thing, like some kind of tradition where you light a stump on fire and chop it with an axe wearing a rain slicker? No, you, you why? Know, Dave and I are both from in Indiana right now. We do that every is, is that like a weekly, you know, just I me? Mean, it's Saturday night. Get out the rain, rain slicker. slicker I actually drove by somebody today doing that very thing. They had a smoldering stump and they were chopping on it. I, I kid you not. That happened today. <laughs> no rain slicker, though. I want the record to show no rain slicker. Insight. Was, was the moldering stump on fire? Or was it smoldering? It was on fire? Okay. Yeah. It so was. Still... Yes. No, there was smoke coming up from it as he was swinging away. Didn't have the slicker on because he didn't need to hide the body yet. Well, it, was, it was really hot today. So to be fair, <laughs> wearing a slicker when it was this hot would probably be the problem. Yeah, it's true. See, the thing Heat is, overheat. It's depending on where he found it, because we know that they're talking to us from Indiana. Depending on where he found it, could be the same dude. I mean, unless if you were driving up US 52 between Indianapolis and Lafayette. Nope. I'm on the south side of Indy. So ah, there's at least two of them. Ah. <laughs> I, I'm on the north side, so I'll keep a lookout. All <laughs> oh, right. You keep a lookout for this guy, for Rain Slicker guy. I mean, I spent plenty of time around Indy. Worked there for seven years, and my I have extended family all over kind of the midwest but quite a few in indiana so yeah i've seen a lot of strange things that i'm like mm-hmm, that this seems accurate but that was a new one yeah chopping the burning stump was was new for me so now so now what we got to do is decide what type of hillbilly are the thought right would they chop a burning stump would they chop a burning stump right yep every day and twice on sunday every day twice on sunday so they're an indiana hillbilly that's what we've decided at least so far with all the evidence so far, i have right they would fit. <laughs> well, because there are different types of hillbillies, you know. It's true. Depending on depending on where they are and where you live. Now, there's on the a certain amount of top... Appalachian in them too. Yes, I will say there's a certain amount of Appalachian in, in them as well. Fierce, yes. fierce independence. Very, very skeptical of authority other than their own clan. 
within their own clan, you know, iron fist kind of a thing. You do follow whoever's in charge. But other than that, and even then it's like, well, yeah, you told me to do this and I got it done. You don't, you know, you can tell me you don't like the way I did it, but it's done, isn't it? Can't argue with that. But next time you're going to do it my way. You're not my mom. You can't tell me what to do. Um, you listen to your elders. Smack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the they took off the flip-flop. Flip-flop and smack. <laughs> Oh no, I found the, the quote you're going to hate the most. Which one? So it's under the uh, values and attitude section. It says, yeah. si attitude toward the scientific method. The what? That's newfangled thinking, ain't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this hurts me. Oh, this physically so hurts me. But the not liking one another is actually pretty on brand for a rabbit. Let's be real. Everyone thinks it's like, oh, like bunnies, and they all like live together. I'm like, nah, they freaking hate each other, man. They're basically solitary, except they're litter. Like, if it's a female, she has a litter, and she'll take care of the babies until they're supposed to be weaned. It's like, get out. And then she's like, get a job. I don't know you. You, you bum. We have two huh? bunnies, and we're, we're trying to bond them, a male and a female. They've both been fixed. Mm. And... The female will snuggle up to the edge of the male's cage, like, let's be friends, let's be friends, I like you now. And he ignores her, completely ignores her. And then every time we try and get them together, she takes a huge bite out of his ass. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're like, well, now you know why he ignores you. The thing is, even when they're not fixed, if they're not interested, yeah, the first response is bite. And they bite a lot harder than you expect an animal that, you know, lives on eating grass to bite. I got a couple scars to prove it. Their teeth are a lot sharper than you think they are. Of course, you had one that would chase the dog and play tag and bite the dog's butt. This is true. They sometimes will punch above their weight class a little too. <laughs> so, also on brand. Yeah, it what fits. We did, it fits. You've got all of the attitude. <laughs> the, the funny thing about the fox is originally they were not included in the core rules as a playable species. Um, they've been in the books since, I want to say, 96. Um, but they, were in a, they weren't in the core rules. And we decided to integrate them into the, the core rules for the seventh edition. And again, with the, the established fan base, they're like, ah, oh, no, not the fonts. They're so annoying. They're obnoxious. And whoever's playing them, just it's a, it's a carte blanche to be obnoxious and, and, and disruptive. All of the people who are new to Battle Lords absolutely love them. It's the Kender problem. If, if, you, if you were an old school D&D person, yeah, the Kender. It's like, what if we took gnomes, made them really happy, and kleptomaniacs, and then made them playable. And it's, yeah, it's the exact kind of thing. It's like people that are brand new, they're like, they're so fun and happy. And everyone else is like, oh my God, they're going to steal everything that's not nailed down. We are in so much trouble. How could you do this? Versus here, I think it's more of, they're going to fight everything they see. We have a problem. It's got long years and it gets away too quickly. Here's this diplomatic mission. Oh yeah, y'all. <laughs> Watch this. <laughs> We'll show you how diplomacy goes in the woods. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so one campaign we had, actually, I was playing, uh, Tony was running the game, and I picked a Scissorak, and one of the other guys picked a Fot. And Scissorak and Fot, you just look at the bases that they come from, it was like, oh, somebody brought me dinner. <laughs> right. There was a running thing, like, do I get to eat him? No. And just this <laughs> oddball circumstance, he got taken and abducted and circuitry uh, implanted in his brain to kind of rewire him so that he was uh, uh, mostly an automaton and came to find him and uh, when we found him he was trying to shoot us and I was like I shoot him <laughs> you saw that he was trying to shoot us I get to eat him now right no you can't eat him dang it what's it gonna take the, one the day I will have my dinner Dave's leaving out an important detail the fat player was a little upset because essentially he's like, okay, I'm programmed to be a bad guy now. And he goes, all right, I'm going to turn to shoot. And Dave's character goes, I got him down. <laughs> so there was there was no hesitation between that. You know, I think our fought might be evil now, and I should kill him. Yeah. And the guy's like, so you just shot me once, right? I was like, oh, no, full auto. Full auto, right to the heart. <laughs> oh, what I hit? I hit the heart. Yes! Now from damage, yes. He's like, but, but I'm dead. I'm like, yes. That means I get to eat him, right? You saw this. He he was shooting us. I got this on video. <laughs> this is not a black mark. I'm within my rights to defend myself. So you just mentioned not a black mark. What does that mean? 
so um, we talked about the companies. Um, in this particular case, we we're talking about a, an adventure team of mercenaries. There are rules of operation, rules of engagement. If you violate rules of engagement, you get black marks, and black marks cause you to lose rank and prestige. They're not good things. And so if you're doing things like killing your teammates, as satisfying as that might be at times, <laughs> for many different reasons, it's also not good for the company because you're wasting valuable resources of the company and they yes. don't like that. It, it's, it's really a line item problem. It's really HR. They don't actually really care on a humanitarian level that you just no, don't No, not at all. Yeah. You've no, got to hire another dude now. <laughs> yeah, you are an expendable research to the or expendable um, uh, resource to the company and the most black marks are for destroying company property. And as long as you're under contract to the company, they essentially view you as an expendable resource. So shooting your teammates costs the company money and yeah you get black marks i mean listen your walking mass of organs are replaceable but we're talking about armor we're talking about extra ammo expenditure we're talking about potential loss of company secrets i mean there's a lot of things that could go wrong here that need to be accounted for i wanted to say workers comp but in this kind of system i'm guessing there is none <laughs> workers what yeah that's what i thought <laughs> We're already um, paying you. In this universe, they subscribe to more the imperial approach to design. We don't build rails. Don't fall off. It's valid. Or we just they'll they'll, they'll pay for your medical care as long as they think fixing you is is you know going to pay off in the long term. Then they'll make you pay for it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We grew that arm back that you lost. Oh, by the way, we also extended your contract by a year. And we're going to dock your pay twenty percent. Yeah, fair. But you're still alive. And it's just as good as the last one, minus that little quirk that happens every once in a while. But, but don't don't think about that too hard. <laughs> the less you think about it, the less it happens. Exactly. So I will say before we kind of wrap things up, do you guys want to give kind of the the quick pitch of where to find Battle Lords and kind of what the 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 goal is now? So I know you kind of passed the Kickstarter phase. I know that's kind of that's been successful at this point. But kind of where's where should we find more information if this is really kind of tickling the fancy? Sure. Um, we are on most social media, um, facebook.com forward slash battle lords. We're on Instagram. I don't know why I did this when I made the Instagram site, but it's battle lords underscore of underscore <laughs> underscore 23rd century. You can probably just search for battle lords on Instagram. Um, we have a discord, which is growing daily. Um, we're also on Twitter. Um, we actually have two Twitter accounts. We have the company account, which is uh, just battle lords RPG. And then we have our uh, fictional snarky corporate spokesman, granny, uh, retired galactic Marine Colonel, granny Pernella Frump, who is at battle lords is her Twitter handle. Okay. And, uh, she will, uh, give you snarky responses to battle wars questions or or, or uh, snarky responses to the company account when they post battle wars stuff um, or you can reach us on the web at battlewars.com uh, we just finished our kickstarter for our first scenario book ever actually in the 30 years the first wow. time we had a, a compilation of scenarios book um and that's uh, charlie foxtrot you, you even though the kickstarter is over you can still get in on the pre-order link which is on the charlie foxtrot kickstarter uh, again if you go on to kickstarter and search for battle lords you'll find both our, our, our 2017 kickstarter for the original core rulebook seventh edition but you'll also find charlie foxtrot and those pre-orders are still open Perfect. did i miss anything dave we're also available through your game stores. We've got a lot of different distributors that carry us. So Excellent. if you can support your local game store, please do. I think that'll wrap us for there. Um, like I said, we'll get together uh, another time. We will kind of wrap up the remainder of the playable races and then kind of get into some of the uh, hostile alien life forms. So I made sure to, to kind of stick that away. Yeah, you guys might want to check out the Hostile Alien Lifeform chapter. The other thing you might want to uh, look at for giggles is the game was made to model battlefield injuries, and uh, the critical <laughs> hit chart on page 136 is always a f And usually when people ask me what's battle, what Battle Wars is like in terms of gameplay, I just flip the book open to that and let them read through it, and they're like, ooh, this is really gritty. <laughs> Fair enough. 
Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or you have any suggestions of topics that we should cover in the future, please tweet those at us at, at nat20pod or email them to us at natural20podcast at gmail.com. Also, if you would like any of your adventures in your own D&D games about different creatures that you had fun with, please submit those stories to us and we will feature them at the beginning of our next podcast in our creature feature. We would like to thank Embers Tide for our intro and outro music. We would like to thank Burnham with three M's for our beautiful profile and banner artwork. We would also like to thank Shadow Dunn for listening to all of the rough drafts of our podcast. He listens to our mistakes, so you don't have to. And, as always, keep rolling a natural 20. When you guys said everything in one book, you meant everything in one book. Yes. The, the Battle Lords uh, uh, motto, if you're not excessive, you're never really sure. It's valid. Um, I can get behind this. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that <laughs> plays out in a couple of our D&D campaigns, too. Like, it, it's, it's all or nothing. Yep. Why are you attacking me like this? Listen, <laughs> I'm the one that hurled myself out a window to maintain a rage. This is true. You have to take damage every round or attack something, and I had no targets. So I hurled myself from a second story window. It's fine. It's good thinking. Right? You get half damage because it's bludgeoning, because it's fall damage. So it's not like you're going to take the whole hit anyway. Mm -hmm. And you can keep the fun, keep the party going. That's all I'm saying. I'm the DM of this party, (laughs) and he's not even the worst one. That's true. (laughs) Somehow. Somehow you end up being the voice of reason, and that's the really terrifying thing. Yeah, when the barbarian's the voice of reason, something has gone wrong. Yes, terribly, horribly wrong. Or, or very, very right. Right. <laughs> <laughs>